As we move into the future of film photography, we might see a few new cameras where we're really hoping the reflex camera uh, that was part of uh, Kickstarter. We we really hope that that is going to be a uh, something that, that happens. And we hope that there are other opportunities for, for new new projects, new new equipment, new film, and all that type of stuff. What is being made today, Nick, that you fear going away the most? I think that I don't actually feel really afraid at this point. I feel like the stuff that I most would worry about is probably going to be around for a while. But I guess the thing that would really that would bother me well film is the obvious worst worst case scenario um because we can always make cameras um we can always concoct the chemicals from scratch all of that's possible but um, making film it's 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 certainly possible but to make film that fits all the different cameras we like to use would be very difficult so if film goes away we're going to be making plates ourselves now on the other hand, I've been thinking more and more that I'd like to make my own plates and and work that way. So, you know, even though that's the worst case scenario, I sort of I'm sort of ready to embrace that too. So, I guess I'm not too worried. Yeah, um, I follow you on that. Um, one of the things that we have available to us is uh, an incredible variety of developer. Uh, in- incredible variety of, of developing options. We have, uh, you know, I mean, we can, we can develop black and white film using coffee and vitamin C tablets. You know, it's not ideal, but it's, uh, there are lots of people who like caffeinol. Uh, so I, I think that we can, we can go through that end of the process. I'm really worried about color chemistry. That's the part of the, process that I, I can see some link in there just going away. And, Hmm. um, and, and and if that happens, then, then that will be, maybe it won't be the end. I don't know. Maybe there's a caffeinol for, well, no, there is, there is a solution. Um, there's a laborious solution that's already there, which is you shoot three black and white images each through a different filter. Right. So a red filter, green filter, blue filter, and then you merge those, uh, you know, using any alternative process that, that generates color. And, and there's all kinds of stuff out there like the gum prints and so forth that may allow you to make really beautiful color images. But yeah, it's very laborious. You're not going to, you know, it's not a snapshot process. It's a, you know, it's something where you really take a lot of time over each image. Right. And, uh, you and know, so there are options for doing it yourself. And you can also do all that in a computer. So right. you could do those three black and white shots and then recreate them as a digital color file very easily in Photoshop just by assigning, you know, a color um, to each of the separate images and then merging them. You know, one of the things that I love about photography today is the fact that we are rediscovering old techniques like what you're talking about, um, uh, the color separation and then uh, printing, Uh, that type of thing. Um, You know, everybody out there doing wet plates, you know, there are people shooting dry plates. 
you know, all, all of that type of thing. But one of the things that, that I absolutely love is the fact that we are working in areas of photography that when I was really into the tail end of, of film photography, and I really stopped probably, probably 95, 96, somewhere in there. And, uh, you know, at that end of, of photography, we weren't doing any of that at least. And, and here's what I'm going to say about we were doing that or we weren't doing that is I think that the percentage of people who were shooting film in 95 and doing some sort of process other than C41 or traditional black and white developing and printing I think that that percentage was much smaller. Maybe the maybe yeah, the actual sure. numbers were were more, but the percentage was much smaller. You asked about cameras, and I changed to film in the middle of answering. Um, but it's really that that's really the crux anyway, because as long as they still make film, then we can use a lot of the old cameras that are out there. And I'm not as worried about sources of cameras as a lot of people are. I think. Once yeah. you've started no, tinkering with them, you realize, eh, you know, there's a lot of miles left here. At least, you know, as long as you find someone who can tinker. Right. Um, and and if you're willing to go primitive. I mean, that's the other thing about all of this is that it's the high-tech stuff that's going to go away. And that's already shown showing in the, you know, point-and-shoots that cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and they, they really aren't that great. Well, <laughs> you know, you know, you know part, of the, part of that, you know, what you're talking about there is the electronics going away. Yeah, exactly. And, right. um, you know, I, I, I really have for a very long time wanted uh, a Nikon 35Ti, and mm-hmm. – and they're right now at about six hundred fifty, seven hundred fifty dollars, somewhere, somewhere in that range. And forget about it, yeah. Well, it, part of the deal is okay. So if I buy a Leica, if I buy a Leica body, uh, I can get a Leica body for not that much more. You can get uh, an mm-hmm. M two or an M three right around a thousand dollars. It's going to be it's going to be scratched and beat on and maybe you have to send it away for a CLA. But one of the things about that camera is it can be CLA with no problem. Right. And it can be made to, to work for, uh, for another, uh, 50 years. But if I buy one of those Nikon 35 TIs, there's going to be a point at which those electronics die, whether I own it at the time or not, that's something Mm -hmm. completely, you know, completely different. But that, Leica will, you know, it's going to maintain some value, right? Uh, yeah, it may not. Be, it may not always. Be people who can fix it and take care of it for a long time to come. Yeah. Right. It may not always be that same uh, amount of money that I put into it, but it will retain some value. And uh, the, but but that thirty five Ti, when it goes, it's you know, it's put it on a shelf because it's a pretty camera, but it's never. It's never going to recover uh, very much of that money at all. Maybe there are some people who want to want to buy and, it. And but. and I've watched camera uh, outfits that that they're that specialize in camera repair, and and they have every year there there are fewer brands they're willing to work on because I guess they get they can't get parts and right. they have a harder time keeping skilled people busy at the bench and so. The result is, even though they, they have the tools, the equipment, they're in business, 
they more and more often can't fix cameras. And so right. it's, you're just, you're seeing this, you know, the, the number of options narrow, 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 and prices climb, climb, climb. So as long as there's film for 35 millimeter and 120 cameras, there's still going to be a way to get some cameras and work. I mean, we're bitching about prices and yet we can, we can afford to own several cameras when we used to not even be able to buy one. You know? Right. So right. it's, we're still in a real golden age here, even with prices climbing. It's no more an issue of, of, of supplies dwindling to nothing over time. Uh, right. Because I think another 20 years and all of a sudden, I don't know, a huge, everything from the eighties and nineties will stop working. <laughs> and Absolutely. <laughs> And the old mechanical ones, you'll be limited to the ones that people can actually maintain. So it's going to be, you know, K1000s, and they're going to get expensive because there won't be that many alternatives. Right. So also the other side of that is that if the cameras are dwindling away, then the market for film will be forced to dwindle as well. And, you know, that puts even more pressure on a on a business that's uh, a little bit stretched already. So... I think short term, I'm not worried at all. Long term, though, I think it's going to be about doing everything ourselves. Uh, I, think I think that you're right about that. Yeah. I've, uh, yeah. I, I've been looking into what it would take to coat film. And I'm not talking about, you know, running a machine that's going to coat uh, a thousand feet of film uh, every five minutes. I'm, I'm talking about something where I can coat a hundred feet uh, over, over the course of a weekend. And then I can, uh, you know, shoot that at my leisure and it, it, and it can have the qualities that I want. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, part of the deal is you have to find the film, uh, the film itself, not the, not the emulsion. You have to find the film, you have to find a base and there yeah. is clear leader out there, and I don't know if clear leader is exactly what you want, but um, well, you I, could probably make something work for yeah. a thirty-five millimeter and that kind of thing. And then, or but as soon as you, as, as soon as you have, well, see, as soon as you're talking about four by five, then you can always go to glass plates. Right. Like you don't have to be. And and the thing that struck me, this really kind of struck me the uh, earlier this year, I saw a digital picture reproduction of a, of an early glass plate. It was a shot of, I think, New York Harbor from the late, you know, 1800s. And I zoomed way in on it and it just blew my socks off. It was so much better than anything I've seen on gelatin film. It was really beautiful. Uh, And I thought, Oh, this isn't, this is another one of these things that the old way is not necessarily crude, you know, People got rid of glass plates not because there was anything wrong with them, but because they're a real pain in the neck. You know, they're you got they're heavy and they're bulky, and you know, on the other hand, you could reuse them. So right, there's there there's a lot of potential there. So I guess that kind of calmed me down a little bit. Uh, yeah, and I'll certainly if it goes away, I'll certainly miss the 35 millimeter you know camera because it is such a wonderfully com- convenient and miniature thing. But I think you're also right. I think if you can find some kind of clear material, uh, making a device that will punch holes in it and cut it, slit it, you know, isn't that complicated. And th- those yeah. devices already exist. And so, you know, there's always room for sort of homemade do-it-yourself solutions. But it that's a completely different situation than than we have now. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty deluxe to be able to just 
you know, buy a really nice emulsion like Portra or Fuji Pro or whatever and stick it in a camera and use it. I mean, that's a, that's a real luxury. some time now I've been annoyed by the certain missing parts so my most common way to go about building a camera from scratch is to use some ready-made equipment that's already out there and connect it together in order to make you know a fairly high quality camera without me needing to start a machine shop right so and I'm, I haven't really got into 3D printing. Um, that can be a solution for a lot of things, but it's not something I've really begun to do myself. And I don't feel, I want other options. I don't want to make everything out of plastic, basically. Um, so one thing I've done, for instance, is I've really focused on using roll film backs and sheet film backs that are a Graflock standard because you can buy a few of those and then keep using them for an infinite number of cameras. Uh, so it's like less stuff to buy and less stuff to recreate every time you, you might want to create a new camera. So that's a wonderful system, really easy to use. But the key part that's a, the missing part is that you need the, the, the little back that comes off the camera that the film backs fit to and have a light tight and secure connection. And we call those the graph lock backs. Um, you can get them online sometimes because people break break apart old cameras and sell off the pieces. But that's, first of all, I don't want to encourage that because I think quite a few of them are probably perfectly good cameras that someone chopped up because they could make more money. Uh, and then the other reason is because um, they're hard to find and they're expensive. So I, you know, every time I want to make a new camera, I don't want to go look for you know, a piece taken off a speed graphic and sold for too much money. So it started to occur to me that we need a way to make those parts easily and re and fairly inexpensively. Um, those sort of key missing parts that, that would make it easy for me to build cameras whenever I feel like it. And um, when I started following that logic, it turned out that there are a whole bunch of parts that would be really kind of fun to make. And some people are doing it already. Uh, Ethan Moses of Cameradactyl makes some very specialized parts like viewfinders and grips that fit specific cameras. Uh, and he also makes cameras that have a lot of these qualities, but his stuff is all very, always very specific. It's, it's going to, it's designed to solve a problem and to solve it really well. It's not really designed for sort of general use or pillaging by other, other builders. And then there are also people who make universal camera systems like Mercury Works or maybe to some extent Dora Goodman's cameras that that have some of these qualities. They use Graflock backs, they use standard lenses, and you can put them together in different configurations. But in both cases, these are 3D printed uh, cameras where if you want to make parts that mate with them, then you need to be fairly competent at printing. Um, and designing the parts because they have, you know, bespoke connections that are, that need to be fairly precise. And that is, turns out to be a lot harder than you would think to do well. Um, because, you know, we've struggled around a little bit with some plastic parts and they're, 
they're harder to make than it than it seems like they would be you know it's it's a it's a it's a uh infant the field's still in its infancy basically um so what i want i want to make the the these specialized parts that are designed to be really easy to work with with you know pieces of wood and simple kind of hand tools you find around the home so parts that you can just screw together or bolt together and that have a kind of forgiving tolerances that make it very easy um, to just make maybe build a wooden box cut a hole in it and screw on this this graph lock back and you're done like anyone can do it very simple and i'm thinking in terms of people without a lot of mechanical training or kids or, you know, people who want to build and play with cameras so make this, their own. This is the idea of just somebody who can builds a wooden box and puts this on the back or they can yes. even even do it with like a cardboard box or, exactly. or foam core or something along those lines, right? Right, right. But that ordinary hand tools and not a lot of skill would be required to use them. Um, and that that is kind of what I have in mind. And I, I know it's something that I want and I bet you a lot of other people could use these things. So I'm starting with the stuff that you can't ever find. That's where I'd like to start. But over time, if other people get involved in this, you know, turns out to be a thing that works for a lot of people. Um, some of these things could be, you know, become more specialized. Like, I don't know if there's a certain lens, um, that has, is, you know, hard to use because a part is missing and, and then we make that part, then it opens up the possibility of working with, you know, a, a new set of things. And of course we've talked on and on about shutters. So we need, you know, we need to make a shutter of some kind part of this, um, of this system. We need to make a way to attach some common lenses uh, and we need a way to attach film backs. And, and of course you can go, we could go farther and, and develop our own film holders or whatever, but at this point, to start with, I'm really just looking for the sort of missing links. Um, and that's where I'd like to start. And I think if we can develop some of these things and make them available, um, people have a lot of fun with them. So we're, the idea is to start with the back that gives a, a universal link. And then in the front of the camera, where the lens would go, we're going to do something on the order of like a lens board, that type of thing. Where yeah. it can just that's e again, it's really easy to connect to right. the back part with anything else in between. So, and I like the uh, basic format of through bolting. So, if you say, let's say that you're making a bunch of things that go with a medium format graph lock back, well, so the holes on the back element element would be perfectly the same as the holes on the front piece, and then whatever box you put in between, you can just run bolt right all the way through, and it holds the whole thing together. So it's a very simple structure that anyone can figure out um, and can adapt because then to make a longer camera, you just need a longer bolt and there you go. Right. I'm uh, so, and, and the materials that you're looking at making the, the front end and the back end with, are, are you thinking 3d printing? Are you thinking, what are you thinking? Yeah. So I think we should start with 3d printing because it's, um, it's something that's fairly inexpensive and flexible. And, but I think it would be really nice to also develop designs for other home building materials. So we don't necessarily have to just have a digital file. We could also draw traditional line dimensioned line drawing. 
Okay. And so someone who's a little more of a cabinet maker could then build a wooden version or a right. metal machine, a metal version or whatever. So the idea is that we create a certain standard size and shape and then provide the information needed to make that out of whatever material or process is available. So, and, and some of these things might be made of a combination of parts. You might laser cut you know, some shapes and combine it with a 3D printed part. So for instance, right. on a graph lock back, there's these tabs that slide in and, and hold the, the film back on. And they're usually, metal. they're usually metal, and, yeah. but that's something that you could just have cut, you know, it doesn't have to be you, or you could do it yourself if you have patience and, you know, a, a saw that cuts metal, but that keeping, so keeping both options open for people is what I'm interested in. It's just like, just show people how to make it what size and shape it needs to be, and then provide the plans that work for whatever method. Um, you know, I, I was thinking that, you know, you could even, uh, you could make those connectors. Well, I, I'm not sure what the clearance is on the holder side um, for those connectors. Um, you know, I, I think that they only have a little area. I was thinking, okay, so if you put... Uh, thinking about, uh, an RB67 back or, mm-hmm. or one of those equivalents, if you, you know, they're, they're uh, just to describe what these are for people who, who are not familiar with the RB67 or the graph lock back, there is a piece of, uh, I think of a long horizontal piece of metal above a long horizontal piece of metal below. And they're on kind of diagonal. Uh, they have diagonal cuts with and uh, in them slots and yeah, diagonal slots. Diagonal slots. So when you run it, when you move it horizontally, it will move up or move down and catch a lip on the device that sits on the inside of it. So right. um, I'm just wondering if those are designed just for that thin metal. Or whether you could use like laser cut wood. For, Actually, for the the, like the mercury graph lock backs, which are excellent, uh-huh. are three D. That's that tab you're talking about is three D printed ABS plastic, and it works really? fine. Yep, they work great. And huh. what and and the two things are connected just with a little stainless steel screw, and that allows you to adjust the tension very easily. And no, they work as well as the uh, original graph lock graph lock ones. I, and they're entirely plastic. Okay. Well, then yeah. then I do have some ABS plastic. I don't want to be in the room while I'm printing it because it is noxious, but I could certainly print something like that. I'm all Right. I have, or you could send off to one of the online people that that, you know, print on demand. Right. So I mean, there's all kinds of ways to get these what people need are the dimensions and the file to to make it. You know? Right. Right. Uh, oh, okay. So, so I, I think I follow you on that. I'm just wondering if you even need the through bolts. Well, okay. The through bolts sandwich the spacer, which is the, the wooden box or the metal box or the plastic box. The, right. That's what that does. Okay. Um, yeah. And it through bolts, not the only way, yeah. but if you have holes in that position, you could choose to use screws instead or whatever, you know? Right. It, it's just, I, I like that as an option because it's really secure and simple yeah. and it's fewer parts. Didn't, um, didn't Graflex use a, a different version of the Graflock on the, 
on the lens board for well so the lens board is is yeah the lens board looks a little bit like it in that they have the sliding tabs yeah uh, but it's not it's a it's a different structure okay um, you, because the the lens boards are a different size and shape than the film holders so but they do use the sliding tab for everything and what it's pretty elegant because the way it works is those tabs are just held by screws and the screw is the actual pivot that the, the diagonal slot slides underneath and you can the screws just by tightening them slightly or maybe putting a little washer behind there it it creates just the right amount of friction so that the thing slides down and holds and it looks primitive but it works really well and they've worked for you know more than half a century so right it, it's a good simple system that uh, that's easy to use and then the other thing that you get to from there is you know, is connecting things that weren't part of the system. And what's nice about lens boards is that all it is is a hole in a piece of metal or a hole in a piece of plastic. Right. Um, and you and you can make people make them out of wood, metal, plastic. They're just a, something you can make out of a wide range of materials and mix materials and connect, you know, one material to another. And they're just so simple and easy to work with compared to, you know, threaded connections. Uh but there's no reason not to make a front that's threaded too. So you could make a, you know, a front board for a camera that just had a hole in it with threads, um, and screw in an M42 lens or screw in a, uh, helical or, you know, so there, some of these parts we're talking about are basically just a square piece of something with a hole in it. Like it, it's not very complicated, right? but not necessarily that easy to get done by yourself at home, you know, to get the threading just right, uh, uh, and yeah. all of that takes no, some no, skill no, and experience. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I was just, uh, <clears throat> my brain was just kind of fading off on the idea of a 35 millimeter version. Um, and yeah. Okay. So, and, and so there's, there's sort of an infinite number of possibilities, but if we just start with the most kind of most effective things like a graph lock connector, then, you know, we can go from there. Um, yeah, the 35 millimeter, once again, we run into the, the issue with the, um, with the shutter. Um, what was it that oh, Nick yeah. said? Uh, yeah. <laughs> a modular shutter will set you free. Uh, yeah. something along and, those lines. Yeah. And we're going to, we'll solve that. I've been playing with these. Uh, I have, I, I found a screen, uh, inexpensive speed graphic. I actually was trying to get a two by three one and, mm -hmm. They sent me a three and a quarter by four and a quarter by mistake. Um, and I, and it, I'm actually really kind of excited by it because it's a cool camera. It's halfway in size. Did it's you halfway let between know, the big the ones. No, it didn't. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I care because hey, they, KEH, we know where your camera is. Well, I, <laughs> I checked, I checked their prices and they're the same. Oh, okay. Um, in fact, the three and a quarter by four and a quarter are very cheap because nobody Film. wants them because there's only three there's only three different black and white films that are even made in that size anymore. So they're, uh, and in, they're expensive. Wait, the only one that's cheap, there is one in China. You can get a yeah. dollar a sheet from China. Who knows what it's like, but there's a Shanghai film yeah. that that's being cut in that size. But anyway, there's very little film and the, there's not much support for them. So they're not, they're not expensive. The price wasn't any different. Um, but, and I never would have purchased it. So it sort of was a, a nice piece of luck that 
they, you know, I ordered a two by three and they sent a three by four, um, because it's actually really interesting to me. It's a, it's a nice size. It's not as big as a, a, you know, four by five, which is kind of a heavy monster with a, with a shutter in it. And, but it's big enough. It has a much longer bellows than the two by three. So you can use more, a wider variety of lenses with it. And, uh, Sure. And sure. that's what I wanted it for. I wanted it as a way to use lenses that lack a shutter. And um, so it'll be good for that. And and it's also getting me interested in the 3x4 format. And I'm starting to look into that because there's just a ton of stuff out there because nobody's using them. So... Okay, I'm. I guess yeah. I'm just not familiar with the three by four. I know the two and a quarter by three and a quarter. Uh, That's what it what? is. It, it, people say three by four for short. Oh, so okay. two by two by three is actually two and a quarter by three and a quarter. Um, and really, that's pretty close to six by nine centimeters. So they're just it's just shorthand. Um, it's I'm too lazy to say all those fractions. Okay, okay. And, and actually, gra- when graph uh, when graphics graphic sold these. They called them a three four. They didn't bother spelling it out either. Okay. Okay. And uh, so so, but uh, the thing that there, so here's an example of of this idea that that we're talking about. The three by four film backs. There were very few made. Uh, there were very few roll film backs made for three by four format, and they were the early ones that were not very good and they're the, the knob wind ones where the film wouldn't stay flat you know okay and and but the size of the film holder is only a little bit bigger than a regular two by three one so it shouldn't be that hard to make an adapter that you can simply clip onto a two by three holder the only catch is that it would move the well you could you could probably design one that kept the film plane exactly the same or you would have to make a shim for your ground glass to make it match the new distance, you know. But either of those solutions are easy. So there's another thing to make, an adapter so that you can just stick a 2x3 roll film holder right on the back of a 3x4 camera. All of a sudden, then, hundreds and hundreds of inexpensive graph- graphic and similar cameras would, would be f- suddenly usable um, by, you know, somebody who didn't have any mechanical ability. So that, that kind of part I think would go a long way to, I don't know, keep a lot of these older cameras alive and and in action Uh, because they need to be used, you know, and, and people aren't going to use them if they can't get film on them. So. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I, I've been, um, uh, messaging back and forth with, uh, on, uh, Instagram with the real Napjack the Mm -hmm. underscore real underscore napjack and he is in um alaska and i just sent him a two and a quarter by three and a quarter inch um insert for metal for a you know a stainless steel developing tank uh he uh he posted a picture of of trying uh you know the taco method uh and i had developed this this holder for metal um, metal developing tanks, and so I I said, well, let me just you know I, I need to send you one. It's one of is part of the deal, so I needed to print up some. And I said, well, I'll just print up five of them. Uh, I'll send one uh, to Jack. I'll send one to you, and then I put on um, 
on Instagram, hey, these are, you know, I said what they were. Uh, I said that two of them were already spoken for, but the other three you can have for the price of postage, uh, which is like six bucks. Um, and, <laughs> and I got exactly zero response from them. <laughs> and that, and that's the two by three size? Yeah, well, two and a quarter by three and a quarter. Right. So, so, so that's, um, that's an interesting one. So the sheet film's available. Um, yes. At least black and white. For right. That. But, but because those cameras generally take roll film backs, most people are just going to shoot roll film. Right. With them. Well, because it's because there's a lot more options. There are more kinds of film that's available as as a one twenty roll. Yeah, but the spring back ones, like I have a spring oh, yeah. back, spring yeah. yeah, I have a spring back one, and right. it it doesn't take roll film holders. So, um, so there's a, there's another example of my my thinking because it turns out you can put a graphlock roll film holder on a spring back really easily. And Graphic made a standard part for that, which they really? sold. And, and I found a picture of it. And it's just a little spring clip that is designed to hold the GraphLock back on. And you just unscrew your spring back and you screw this clip on. Now, you don't have a convenient way to switch to the ground glass. But it's not super inconvenient because Mercury solved that by creating a, a ground glass that's designed to go behind those clips. So oh, okay. there's a, there's always a solution like it. Yeah. And, and the tricky part is that, well, it's this little piece of spring steel. Where are you going to get that? Well, it's th- another one of these things that we can just figure out the right dimensions and get a file made. Then you can just have any laser cutting business, cut you a piece of metal and screw it on the back of your camera and you're ready to go. So, so that all these things have solutions and many of them were already something that exists, but they just aren't, available unless you really know what you're looking for and you're extremely lucky on ebay because i mean i've i've found these reference to these clips but i bet you that nobody knows what they are and they're just in the bottom of drawers everywhere and you know no no one's putting them up for sale because they just look like a funny piece of metal you know with with no known use (laughs) right 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 so they uh so they're roll film back for two quarter by three this is just this is killer uh podcasting you know top talking about okay so i get i get all of those but that's not what i want i want a spring spring back adapter yeah so i can i can send you the uh so what i've done is i found this uh, and i put up on okay so here's here's a piece of news that i'm going to just throw in the middle of our podcast Uh uh-oh I just broke down and started a Facebook group for the Homemade Camera Podcast. Right. Um, and I've been avoiding Facebook now for some time, but I've noticed that for discussions around things like podcasts, the Facebook groups are the ones that thrive. And I think it's just because a million people are already on Facebook. And it's fairly well set up for like a discussion. It's easy to load images. It's easy to chat back and forth. So it's... It's pretty effective, and I just said, okay, the other cool podcasts have their Facebook groups, and they're and they have a lot of interaction um, compared to say a Flickr group where it's great for posting photographs, but people just aren't in the habit of chit chatting on them anymore. So uh, anyway, I started this group, so I welcome anybody who listens to the podcast to look up the Homemade Camera Podcast group on 
Facebook and join and post pictures of, you know, your, your photos and your camera projects and, uh, start some discussions. And so far I've just mostly been posting useful information. Um, and I'm using a, a feature that I didn't know existed, but you can tag things you post there. Uh, and I started a few categories like links, how to, uh, homemade cameras so that you can then later go back and find stuff because that's the biggest gripe I have with these linear social platforms is that, you know, a discussion you want to try to remember from last year can be really hard to find. Uh, so there's a maybe partial solution for that in these tags. Uh, upper right corner, you can find those. And um, anyhow, I, I hope people join in and uh, try that uh, that group as a way to communicate with each other. And one of the things to know is, uh, like I'm right at the end of my school year, and uh, it's busy. It is busy as all get out. So, uh, I will be participating in those in the future. I'll get back on, uh, Flickr. It's just, uh, I just hit a really super busy time. I'm also, as some of you know, uh, doing a second podcast for beginners, um, for newbies, uh, get started with film photography podcast. So I'll get back in it. Um, you know, uh, it won't only be Nick there. So yeah, well, and I, and I'm also at the end of a big project, so I'm, not as uh, active as I have been, but I will be again back before long. But I still check on it regularly, and and uh, I'm trying to get it started right now. And I, what I want to say is I posted some links to sources of information, and one of the coolest is uh, there's a place that sells old camera stuff called Pacific Rim Camera. It's an online source for ancient and decrepit uh, camera gear, and they have an incredible resource. They put up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of PDFs of old brochures, uh, manuals, magazines about old cameras and, and photography. And there's some great stuff on there, uh, especially in the sections on graph lock, graph, graphic, graphics, uh, Fuji, large format lenses. They have some really good materials. So just super useful charts and diagrams showing you things like all the image circles overlapped on one diagram with you know, the film formats in the background. So you can just see exactly what coverage of different lenses is. And there's, um, in the graphics section, I found all these old brochures with things like this product for connecting a modern graph lock back to an old springback camera. And, you know, there's, you can find uh, pictures of how it worked and all that is all on there. So it's super useful. So besides the front and the back uh, that we've talked about already, what do you think are the areas that we, you know, that would be nice? And what are the areas that are crucial uh, to have? What are the, what are the elements of one of these that, that are, you know, that's crucial? Yeah. So um, I think for connecting film holders that we already know about, and it isn't just GraphLock. I mean, there are great film holders for, some of the other medium format cameras like and even maybe there might be some obscure 35 millimeter but you know there's Hasselblad and Mamiya and so there are other connectors to go as sure. well as Graflock and then there's um 
the front we've talked about, there could be a lot of varieties, but so think about all the other things that you always need, you know, tripod connector. Um, so we could create one again, that instead of that, that could have little screw holes so that you could just screw it onto a wooden box and it'd be sturdy, right? Or, or you could make one that uh, was a, you know, Arca Swiss standard keyhole shape that you could just screw on, right? And would mount in an Arca Swiss tripod. So those kinds of connectors and uh, think about cold shoes. Well, maybe imagine like three or four cold shoes on a strip with holes so that you could just screw it on. Um, so, so things that save people from doing the more complicated fabrication jobs, uh, yeah, and make it easy to just kind of put together some kind of a basic camera with solid connectors. Um, and again, simple screws and bolts as opposed to, you know, special fitting parts or, or glue is always an option too. Um, so that brings up one of the things I thought about with these is that there's sort of two styles. One style of part would be very sleek and streamlined. Um, but another style could be almost more like an erector set where the, you know, the, the basic background, um, matrix could be full of holes so that you'd have all kinds of different ways to connect things. Um, okay. so, you, so you could do two styles, kind of an industrial, um, style with a lot of holes in it versus a real sleek, I'm going to make a real sleek camera, simple thing with, you know, maybe all the screw holes countersunk and that kind of thing. Um, so two ways to think about it, both good ideas. Um, uh, so there's things like lens boards. So we've talked about the, the different size lens boards that fit the graphic cameras. Um, uh -huh. there are, uh, if think about the, the screw thread ones, um, holes that you can screw things that are standard. So for instance, the, there's some standard size helicals out there, um, uh, pieces that those would screw directly into. And then, um, there are, I know I had some other ideas. Oh yeah. So the shutter is another big one. And, and I've thought of that as there should be like three different forms. So, I mean, someday it would be really nice to have, um, a, an actual focal plane shutter that went right in front of the film plane. And that could be very straightforward in that it would just be a box with some kind of a shutter in it or place for a shutter that you could screw right onto that film back a holder and there could also be a type of shutter that is designed to go on the front of a lens this is something i've often thought about yeah so especially with 35 millimeter where there's so little space to work with inside between the film and the lens um, a more crude shutter if you could just screw it right onto the filter thread you know adapter on the front of a lens i've been thinking about that a lot lately and um, for it, some reason, it, that one's just in my head. Yeah. And it, and think about, I mean, all the situations, like even an existing camera with a broken shutter, if you could jam that shutter open, you could just put this on the front of the lens and you're back in business. So this is one um, that, it, you know, and they did make them that way long ago. If you look at really early cameras, sometimes there'd be basically a guillotine on the front in front of the lens. Uh, it's it's a perfectly valid way to to do it. Yeah, and part of the deal with that was uh early early cameras you, we we've all seen the the old west movies. In fact, I think they did it in 
um, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, I uh, where there's a lens cap. He takes the lens cap off, flashes the flash, and then puts the lens cap back on. Well, as film got more sensitive, that timing was was more crucial. But they had all those lenses that didn't have a shutter that they were just made to open and close with that uh, with that lens cap. So they and, had to retrofit all those old lenses with a shutter on the front. Right. Yeah. It's cheaper to yeah. buy to buy a shutter to put on the lens than it is to buy a whole new lens with mm-hmm. with a shutter. Right. So right. I, I think that there's something there. And yeah, there's a- and, and I've been I've been looking at a lot of uh, a lot of shutters lately and trying to figure out you know what would my diameter have to be in order for you to put it on the end of a 35 millimeter lens that's really kind of my my holy grail is be able to use um you know anything with say a 49 millimeter thread you know uh um filter thread yeah, I think I'd make it a little bit bigger and use a step-down adapter, and then it would yeah, work you could on more that. more lenses. Well, yeah. but I I think that the bigger you get, the rarer and more expensive that shutter is going to be. So uh, that was the one of the reasons why I went with the forty-nine. It's fairly small. Uh, you know, there are smaller ones, but uh, you know, and and the other thing is that also keeps the cost of the lens down because you can get you know old Minoltas, old Canons, old uh, Nikon lenses. Um, sure for well not the minolta because they're they're bigger than 49 but (laughs) oh no no hang on a second hang on a second (laughs) quite a few of them are pentax and nikon were generally 49 i'm putting my earphones back on oh i have an x370 with a 1.7 you know 50 1.7 49 millimeter filter thread yeah, but some of them are bigger. They 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 well, went sure yeah sure anyway whatever. But, but yeah, but I was just saying that one because, uh, because uh, well, my whole point is there are also a, a ton of old filters that nobody's going to use because cameras today have seventy two millimeter filter threads. You know our lenses right. today. So another place to put it, uh, and and this oh, happened. There I, there is a no. Oh, wait, a hang on a second. One more thing. Oh, just had to do that. Okay. Okay, so there are a number of shutters that go on the back of a lens board as well. And I just, um, so that's another place to put one. So you could actually design a chunky lens board with a shutter built into it as right. another approach. And um, <laughs> there's a there's a, a an odd one that I just found right near the end of the, the graphic press camera lines. They came out with a lens that was, that had a shutter built into a lens board so you had to keep the you know it was a unit you couldn't separate them that that provided uh, up to a thousandth of a second shutter speed in this really compact more like a sort of it, it's it's a unique shutter it's not a leaf shutter it's not a focal plane shutter uh-huh. it's a rotating shutter yeah and they de- they designed it so that it makes in during a one 360 degree revolution it speeds up makes the exposure, and then slows back down. And the idea was that it was supposed to make uh, the mechanism more resilient so it wouldn't beat itself to death. Sure. Um, unfortunately, I've heard these very cool shutters are actually prone to breakage, oh. and so pe- people tend to avoid them. But 
but the idea is still a good one. And if you don't, it doesn't have to go a thousandth of a second. So if you do the same kind of idea and put a rotating shutter in a lens board that, that runs a little slower, that should be a pretty simple structure. It's easier to make things that just a simple rotating piece than a bunch of leaves that have to zip in and out and be all very precise. So that's, I think, another one to pursue. So anyway, there are some really good uh, starting points for these modular shutters, and I think we'll solve that. Um, and then here's another one, sheet film holders. So there's tons of them out there for standard graph lock backs because that's kind of the, the large and medium format standard for view cameras. But it occurs to me that that's something you could make for other kinds of cameras too, if you wanted to. Um, and if, you know, there are some rare ones made for Roloflex or Hasselblad. You know, there were still people who wanted to take one shot at a time with those cameras. Um, but that's, that's sort of an odd thing. They're expensive and hard to find. So there's another kind of opening. If people want to make their own emulsions, the easiest way to do it is to make a single plate. And so making plate holders that would fit on other cameras that originally didn't take them. Um, most medium format cameras had some kind of interchangeable back and making a, a single sheet plate holder for those cameras would be a simple thing to do and would open up uh, alternative process sure. to be used. And that's kind of appealing because think about the newer cameras that never had a, a provision for a sheet or plate film are often really a desirable camera. So making one of those that'll work that way opens up the possibility of making your own film, concocting your own emulsions, and then using it on a pretty modern, high-quality camera. That's kind of appealing. So there's, it's not just to make it easy to make your own camera. These ideas are also ways to make existing equipment more versatile and more useful, right? just as, as a modification. Uh, and then along with these sheet and plate film um, projects, we need m uh, more ways to create daylight developing tanks. And you mentioned earlier making a film holder that you just drop into a regular you know, sh uh, strip film developing right. tank. And so there's plenty of light type developing tanks in the world. We just need to make the, the right inserts to be able to develop other shapes of film in there. Um, again, that's a simple process, but it will open up a lot more options uh, and viewfinders sure. okay they already exist people yeah. are making plastic viewfinders i know uh ethan camerodactyl has made some really nice simple ones but that's another area that um we could expand and especially with wide angle wide angle viewfinders are fairly expensive and i just use one and i just switch it around between all my cameras um, because a nice one is good to have but would be another thing to look at and you know there have been great things people have done with uh like those door peephole lenses and that kind of thing well just maybe figuring out a standard way to to uh, adapt those would be would be a, a fun viewfinder right uh, so anyway that's the general idea there are all these basically whenever you get to a missing link something that you don't have that would make it easy to combine uh some of the different parts that you have that's what we want to look at how to create those missing links for for people to do their own modifications and, and new camera construction
So Nick, I hear you went to the pinhole meetup. Am I right? Well, I finally was able to get to one. There's a, a lot of pinholers in the Northwest, and they get together usually once a month. Uh, and I've just been unable to make it. Most of the meetings this winter were in Portland, and I didn't have time to get down there. And the ones that were in Seattle, I missed. Uh, but they f- suddenly had one announced on the island I live on, north of Seattle. And <laughs> I was all excited. But out of as the t- deadline approached, all the people from off-island dropped out, and usually for very good reasons. Um, <laughs> but in the end, it was just the two of us who live on Whidbey Island. <laughs> Who, who went to the meet. But it was really fun uh, because I met someone who's a really good pinhole and all sort of alternative camera photographer uh, named Lorraine Healy. And she's been on a number of podcasts and she, she's pretty well known in these in this small group that we're part of. And I had I'd never met her before. Yeah. And on Instagram, she's a Lorraine Healy MFA. Yeah. And she does great work. And yes. Anyhow, we had fun. We got to take pictures and talk about all this and she loaned me one of Todd Schlemmer's terrapins to try out which is great because I wanted to try one of those and uh, I had a lens she needed so we're 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 starting to work together and that's a lot of fun all right and uh, yeah so the only other thing that I wanted to mention um, that I've been working on lately is that I already talked about using these smaller graphic cameras and trying to figure out how to bring them back to life so I'm working now on adapting a 2x3 film holder to a 3x4 camera, and that, that's something that I'm definitely working on right now. All right. So um, my big thing that I've been uh, doing lately, in fact, actually, that I did over this last weekend, uh, as I said, I've been really busy. Um, I, I'm at the end of my semester, and uh, it's it's just been hectic, hectic. And part of the, part of the deal is I go out and recruit for my program in high schools. And, uh, so like just this last Friday, that was what I was doing. And, and, uh, because I live far away, uh, from the area in which I teach, it's a far drive to come in and do the recruiting. So I've been a little bit busy, but, uh, that's going to let up soon, um, but what I did over the weekend was I have one of, uh, the camera dactyl slash butter, uh, cameras. It is the X pin, which is a 24 by 30, no, 24 by 65 millimeter frame on 35 millimeter, uh, film. And it is a pinhole camera and it's a, uh, laser cut, uh, kit and, um, the laser cut kit, uh, you know, just came with a bunch of pieces and I, um, uh, I, I started putting them together and, and treating it like a puzzle. And I gave Ethan a little bit of crap on Instagram, yeah, on Instagram about not including instructions. And then he pointed me towards the instruction manual that is actually on the cameradactyl.com website. So uh, if you end up with one of these, there are actual instructions on online. Um, I built mine a little bit differently from the way he uh, described. He suggested building it, then gluing all of the corners, and then painting it uh, on the inside with black paint. 
Now, I didn't do that. I painted it and then glued it together. Um, nice. And uh, I like the cosmetic result, but the problem was uh, one of the things that happens is the paint will sit on top of that glue and it will it will seal that those very very thin points where there is some so, you know a potential for some light leakage. Oh, now, so you don't have light you don't have light proof glue basically. I well I could I have um, I have black uh, silicone um, so I mean I could use that. But what I did instead was I have some of that 3M. Uh, what do we call it? The 3M uh, light tight um, uh, paper tape. So I have I've done all the edges in the light tight paper tape. Um, Were you able to put the tape on the inside of the camera? No, so I did it on the outside because actually I, the colors I painted were orange and yellow, and then the 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 black tape on the edges just really sets that off very well. So and what I what I saw when I looked at a, a picture of what you're doing is that this the way these wooden cameras go together is with like a a, a finger kind of keyed finger joint. Yes. And and yeah. by painting it two colors, the finger joints create a really dramatic bold graphic pattern uh on the camera which I thought right. was really nice and right. I like that a lot. And but I also I didn't realize this is a twenty four by sixty five thirty five millimeter camera. That's the wonderful X pen right. format that I like so much. You, in other words, you have a box with a film transport that does that. And the fact that there's a pinhole on it doesn't mean you couldn't put it on some other sort of. Oh right! I mean, don't you have now a an X pen film back that you can adapt to lenses? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> now I could use really something great. like. Um, the KMZ Jupiter 8, which is a uh, 50 millimeter F2, uh, like a thread mount lens. And that will cover about 60 centimeters. So it, I might get a little bit of vignetting at the edge. And that's only on infinity. As soon as you focus a little closer, it'll cover. Right, right. So, so for a por- portrait photography or something, it would be fine. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. And uh, I'm not sure. Well, panorama can shoot portraits. Why not? Well, if you turn it on its side, it's exactly the shape of a person. Sure. Absolutely. Well, not the shape of me. I need I need a little bit more <laughs> than that 24 millimeter wide. But uh, <laughs> somebody like you, somebody like you, I think it would work for um, but you know, uh, part of the, part of the deal with this is, yeah, now I have that. I just have to figure out the shutter and I'm, I'm really playing with some ideas. So, uh, so I think, I think that this is going to be a good foundation. One of the things that I like about it is this was a laser cut project. And one of the, being a laser cut project, um, you know, it, it, Ethan has access to that and in his makerspace in Albuquerque. And, you know, you can send stuff off to be laser cut or you can, um, you know, order a certain thickness of, of material to be laser cut. And I, I think that the, the laser cut wood is a really nice material. Uh, for one thing, it's very economical if you can, afford the laser cutting right 
mm-hmm. you know, just a, a little, you know, piece of cabinet grade um, uh, plywood and you run it through there. And uh, I, I think that you could get some really interesting results. And and that's a great way to work. But I just want to point out that if you if you are a Luddite, you can use a jeweler's frame saw. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it by hand. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's absolutely. always a way. Right, well, right. what I'm and well, one of the things that you could also do with with a jeweler's frame saw is you could do dovetail joints. Mm-hmm. And part of the deal is the laser is going to cut. Well, I'm making the assumption that that laser can only cut at a vertical. I wonder not, if I'm that head sh- will tilt. I think it depends on you know the machine you have. Sure, um, but, but you, I, I don't I don't know the answer. But that's an interesting idea. You would get you would for straight cuts. That seems like it would be pretty simple and straightforward. Right. Would get complicated if you were going around corners. Um, but it's not. It's certainly just a matter of technology, and I don't know what's available. But it wow. could be done. Because yeah. dovetails on these um, would be absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah. you know, uh, that would be, that would be next level. So sure. Sure. Uh, and if you, and if you were, I mean, you could also half and half it. So you could make something designed to be cuts with square cuts and then take a, a little, a little hand plane and shave right. it down. Yeah. You know, yeah. The yeah. way, Absolutely. the way boat, boat builders join lengths of plywood yeah. end to end to get a really long sheet. Um, and they, you just, it's pretty simple to plane an angle on the end of the sheet. Um, right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, with dovetail, you only need half of it to be at an angle. The other half of it can could be cut vertically. You know, the mm-hmm. other um, uh, piece of wood. You know, only one right. of them comes in at an, at a, an angle. So, yeah, we need to we need to ask Ethan about whether he can do that. Because, well, I, it, yeah. it certainly must be happening at some level in, in right. just whether the, whether the affordable whether equipment machine. does it or not. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, that's pretty much what I've been doing lately. Um, and, uh, I'm still kind of working on, uh, a half wood, half, um, plastic pinhole and, but, but I've not done any, I'm still in the design stage and I've not done any of that. I've, I've been too busy with other things to to get back at that. But that's, that's still, that's still my, my active project, even if it's not very active right now. Yeah. That sounds like a a really cool little camera. And, uh, and I'm kind of intrigued. How does a film advance work? Well, okay. So the film advance is actually, um, quite similar to the design that I did for the, uh, 24 squared. I mean, the, uh, I'm not saying that Ethan copied those parts. I'm saying that they're very similar. Um, so where it grips the 35 millimeter cassette, um, and, and once again, it's a cassette to cassette advancement system. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's no rewind. There's just one knob. Um, but it is um, the difference with this versus the uh, 24 squared is the advanced knob is much is about... I don't know if it's twice, it's one and a half times the diameter of the knob that I created. And because it is larger, it gives you two things. It gives you better torque, right? As you advance it, you it has better torque. But the other thing is the large flat bottom sits 
on that piece of wood and has enough friction that it doesn't, if there's a, you know, uh, when you, when you wind film, you sometimes get a spring action. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it retards that spring action just perfectly. And I am really thrilled with that end of it. Um, and, and then, so how far you turn the knob around tells you how much film you've advanced, but won't that change as you're going? Yeah. Theoretically it'll change. Um, uh, well, this, as the spool gets fatter with more film on it, it's going to take up a larger amount each time you turn it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So how are you measuring the amount that you turn? Well, Ethan says it's one and a half turns and, uh, and I'm still on my first roll and that's what I'm doing. One and a half turns. And, um, so it, it, the gap between the frames will definitely get larger, whether it goes from too close to really far or whether it just goes from just enough to, to just a little bit further than enough. I don't know. I'm going to have to, uh, have to develop it and see, and you can always make little adjustments as you go. So the one that I made out of an RB67 film holder, uh, it also it, it's a little bit of an approximation, um, but that one's designed to make it. It's designed to make a slightly different amount of advance in order to accommodate that. So the mechanics of it are supposed to take that problem up. But in, but in fact, there's a pretty wide gap between frames, uh, which is good because then you know it makes up for operator error. And if you start the film in the wrong place and that kind of thing, um, but you still get 15 of those shots out of a roll of 36. So that's, that's plenty, you know, right. Like, right. So and it's that's just a matter. Of, so all you have to do is if, if you don't like your results, you just turn it a little more each time or a little less each time. Right. Whatever. Right. Yeah. And that's what this is. Um, this is a, uh, 15 shots on a 36, I believe is what he said. Oh, I just so. thought of a system that would work. So if you pl- practice with that, so imagine you make a mark at the start. And a mark at one and, and at a mark at a half turn. Right? right. So if you turn it around once and then go to the halfway mark, that's your standard. But you could then make like I mean, you know, a, a number two mark, a number three mark, so that you would each time finish at a slightly sure. short, uh, shorter distance, and so that you had even spacing. And if you did it, it would also serve as a film frame counter. So hmm. picture a little mark, one, you know, a quarter inch back from that, that halfway mark, and then another one, a quarter inch back from that, or whatever the distance would need to be. Right. And if you always ended on the, you know, the next one in the countdown, you would then know how many frames were left and it would accommodate. So I think your large knob and then some sort of, you know, maybe a sticker that you can make marks on until you get it Right. Right. Would be might might turn out to you know, sort of refine that. Yeah, I think that you're right. I think that you're right. Uh, I, that, that's uh, uh, but I think yeah, I, I think that that is something that would work absolutely. You know, I keep, uh, I keep, I think I've already mentioned the books that I have on my mind, so I don't, without, I might just repeat myself. I've been reading one that I may or may not have mentioned before. It's called uh, The Fifth Edition of the View Camera Technique by Leslie Strobel. 
Okay. And it's it's an interesting book. It's nowhere near as kind of fun to read as some of the others I've found. But it's it's almost it's almost set up like a like a reference book or or an encyclopedia. It's very it it breaks everything down into very specific topics and and has a very kind of dry style but if you need detailed information it's in there it it was put out by focal press um and it makes a good complement to some of the more uh easy to read <laughs> volumes on on uh, large format photography it's not that it's hard to read it's just that it's dry it's like just the facts you know <laughs> right and uh i i think it's really useful though um and there's a lot of Information and I, I'm also encouraging people to, to follow my lead and post links to this type of detailed, useful information. Uh, post them on that Facebook group, but also put put keep posting stuff on Flickr because it's just easier to find things again. The the way that uh, things are uh, organized on Flickr into, right. you know, it's easy. The discussions are easy to break into, you know into topics so that you can just go back and find the stuff you're looking for. Uh, it'd be nice to post more of the links there too, because when you do find a really good source of information, um, it's just nice to be able to find it again. And, Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking at Mamaya uh, press lenses. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The, the one that everybody, the one that you want is the 100 millimeter 2.8 and they're expensive because that's a really, really exceptional lens. Uh, yeah. I was looking at the 65. Uh, that's a, like that. not as impressive a lens, um, but it's a cool lens. Yeah. And, and I think that's one where you just stop down a little and it's just fine. So, uh, Nick, do you have any shout outs? Oh, well, I mean, I always want people to go see what's been posted on the homemade camera podcast Flickr group. Um, there's, there's a modification. I got Mark Delzell to post a modification of an early Graflex single lens reflex camera. And this is actually a spring black, a spring back to Graflock conversion that oh. he did himself with some pieces of wood, some pieces of metal, and some screws. <laughs> so if you're interested in this sort of graph lock back idea and the idea of converting older cameras, there's a great example um, of of a homemade uh, conversion, and he shows it with a film holder in place and without a film holder in place. So this was a camera that wouldn't even take a regular a 4x5 film holder, um, and he modified it to do that. Uh, it, very simple homemade approach. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I'll have to check that out. Hi, this is Graham. I had to jump in at this point while I was editing to remind everybody about the zine we are doing. We've got this little fundraiser idea where our listeners send us photographs of homemade cameras and from their homemade cameras. And we're going to put together a zine. We'll charge a couple of bucks on Etsy for the electronic version. And it's just a little fundraiser to offset some of the costs of the hosting of the podcast. If you are interested at all in including your camera in this endeavor, in this zine, please go to homemadecamera.com. 
on the little menu bar, there's a little button, a, a little link there for you to go to the submissions for the zine. Now, there are two parts to it. One of them is the form at the top of the page, or the most of the page is a form for you to fill out. And then after that is a little section where you can upload your files to us. Just make sure that when you're naming the files, you name it with your name and the name of the camera so we can bring your submission that you are, the, the form that you fill out, and those files together. I think this is going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's been a while since I've been part of any zine, and getting one of these things together, and especially within our area of homemade cameras, I think that this is going to be a whole lot of fun. Now I'm going to send you back to the show. Yeah, the large format photography podcast, they've, they've got three episodes now. And that's uh, uh, Warboy Snapper. That's Andrew and uh, who else is Simon? It's, it's Simon Forster. Yeah. And they're playing, the, they're playing uh, the role playing kind of is that Andrew is supposed to be the old hand and Simon Forster is the, you know, the young startup new guy who's just learning the process. And, um, it's it's a good show. I'm I'm actually really enjoying it. They're starting to uh uh have interviews with some really knowledgeable people and that's uh it's also because it's large format photography, it's directly relevant to to our podcast. Everything right. about large format photography basically boils down to concocting your own camera. As as someone described it, every time you take a picture, you you reinvent the camera by reorienting the relationship between the lens and the film. And there's a level of kind of direct involvement with the structure of the, the machine you're using. That is, that is really useful if you want to learn how to build cameras and really good at sort of making you understand what photography is really about. Right. So it's a process that, you know, whether you do it yourself or just listen to other people talk about it, you're going to learn a lot. Uh, so I, I recommend the podcast and they, they, they like to recommend ours. So, Hey, you know, right. They must be, they must know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, they, they show impeccable taste. Uh, I agree. I've been listening to that, uh, since it, since it came on. And, uh, and I also like their other two shows, classic lenses and the lensless podcast. Uh, they, they each, also do another podcast so yeah, they're, they're both great yeah. yeah absolutely uh very interesting um a very interesting podcast if you guys have not heard it yet uh i i uh, <clears throat> i also have been working with the four by five camera dactyl og and <clears throat> that's really encouraging me to do more large format because it's so simple and easy to use <clears throat> it's the exact opposite of what i just talked about it's a point and shoot camera that takes the big film Right. Um, and you know, you can, it's fully manual. You've got shutter and aperture adjustments and all that, but it's, yeah. it's still something that's very simple to use. Um, just like it's a, basically it, it can be used as a viewfinder camera or with a ground glass in a traditional large format approach. And both ways of using it are great. And yeah. It, it, it encourages you to just go take pictures. Whereas the, the fully adjustable, you know, rail camera is, it's such a production, you know, that you kind of have to devote your, you devote a, a lot of time to just taking one picture and it's a different kind of way to work. It's right. great, but right. it's exactly. good to have both, both choices. So, um, how do we reach you, Nick? 
Uh, so I post very occasionally on uh, Instagram at avynick, A-V-Y-N-I-C-K. I put a lot more images to do with building cameras and uh, experimental photography on Flickr at under Nick Lyle. And now there's this Facebook group where I'm showing up to and make sure. And what's the what... full name of the Facebook group? It's the Homemade Camera Podcast. That's the name of it. Okay. Uh, and let's see. It's just, I mean, it's, that's all you have to do is put that in and you'll find it. You have to answer some questions, though. Oh, yeah. There are questions you're supposed to answer. It's a closed group uh, just because I don't want it to end up, you know, being spam heaven. Right. Um, and we've got uh, some, I've invited some people that I happen to have Facebook connections with, which wasn't a very long list of people because I'm not active on Facebook. But we've got some of the um, really good people. Uh, Sunday Hale Lynch is posting and mm -hmm. he's an amazing camera builder and um th there's a guy that i met uh through a different um through mercury camera uh, i met a guy named bruce bohannon and he just posted a he does modified and altered old cameras that are really interesting he just posted one that's a brownie hawkeye conversion that's that's cool um so this i think this group is going to develop into a, a really good source of ideas and inspiration as people start to post on it. All right. Uh, you can get a hold of me on Instagram as Graham Homemade Camera. I also am on Flickr as Freezer of Photons, and I've been posting on both Flickr and Instagram. Some Sometimes it's the same stuff, sometimes it's not the same stuff, but I've been posting again. Uh, I have another podcast called Get Started with Film Photography, and that is all about uh, people who are are just starting again in photography. If you've been away, uh, you know, and you forget some stuff, and it's also for for new people. Um, and uh, I go through the basics, try to explain as much as I can explain. And once a month, I have a question and answer episode and i'm just about to record that question and answer episode for april of 2019 i've got a few good questions and uh so you can find me there um let's see uh if you want to email me uh graham at homemade camera and graham is spelled g-r-a-h-a-m at homemadecamera.com and um, also, we can also get a hold of Nick, uh, Nick at homemadecamera.com. I also want to mention, I haven't mentioned it in a while, we are part of the Film Podcast Network, which is a listing of film-based podcasts. And if you go to filmpodcastnetwork.com, you can find a listing of those film-based uh, podcasts. And just recently, there have been three or four new ones that have started up. Also, if you are a podcaster and yours is not listed, on that website, the filmpodcastnetwork.com, you can find a form to fill out and I will list your podcast. And that's all. That's going to be free forever. Uh, no charge, nothing, uh, no ads, nothing along those lines. So if you're interested in that, you certainly uh, can head over there. And of course, we want to sh thank Robbie Cribs for uh, the excellent music that he composed and uh, created for our podcast.